Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College, Emory, Virginia. My name is John Schock. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Since September 11, 2001, the United States has been obsessed with terrorism. The word terrorist conjures up the image of an Arabic-speaking Muslim from the Middle East. My guest says that it is unwise to profile terrorists that way. Terrorism is also homegrown and inspired by Christianity. My guest is Dr. Joseph Fitsanakis. He coordinates the Security and Intelligence Studies program at King College in Bristol, Tennessee, where he teaches classes on intelligence and international terrorism, among other subjects. Dr. Fitsanakis is a frequent contributor to news media such as ABC Radio and RT Television, and his work has been referenced in outlets such as the Washington Post, the Boston Herald, the Guardian, Politico, Al Jazeera, La Monde Diplomatique, the Huffington Post, Wired, and Alternet. Uh, he also participates in the blog intelnews.org, and he's here to speak about the connection between the American far right and the Christian ideology, in particular Christian identity, and groups like Aryan Nations, National Alliance, the Creativity Movement, the Klan, and various skinhead and neo-Confederate groups. Dr. Fitsanakis, welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you. So how did you happen to get interested in these various groups? Uh, my area of expertise is security and uh, terrorism, both international and homegrown. And because of this interest that I have, I uh, began, as most of us, I guess, uh, by looking into what is the hot subject in today's terrorism study, which is, of course, Islamic-inspired terrorism. But eventually, uh, I came to the realization that um, the overwhelming concentration on this type of religiously-inspired terrorism uh, leaves aside um, other types of religious terrorism, uh, which there are quite... Uh, vibrant in the United States, unfortunately. And that includes uh, several far-right groups that are inspired by Christian ideology uh, rather than Islamic ideology. So you, would you use the term Christian terrorism? In some, I, I, I'm not quite sure that... So, for example, an average Muslim would not recognize Islam in the doings of Osama bin Laden. Mm -hmm. In the same way, I think the average Christian would not recognize Christianity in activities of far-right, Christian-inspired groups. Having said that, there have been many cases of Christian-inspired terrorism. America is not alien to this type of terrorism, going back to the 1860s with the formation of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, the Klan is something that I would describe as a Christian-inspired terrorist group. I mean, its symbol is the flaming cross. Mm -hmm. So, And there have been lots of case studies of... Um, terrorism conducted by the Klan in the last, say, 150 years or so. So would you say, could, could you possibly give kind of a percentage of, of Muslims who are, who are terrorists versus those who are not and Christians who are terrorists versus those who are not? I mean, is it similar? I mean, are we talking about a similar um, movement on both, within both traditions? Every religion has um, an extreme uh, and that applies to even the Buddhists. You know, there are mm -hmm. several cases. I mean, the Adam, the um, Amshirinkyo clan that tried to uh, conduct terrorism in the Tokyo underground uh, back in nine, in the mid 90s. 
they were inspired by Buddhist principles, and yet they were a millenarian cult, that uh, apocalyptic cult that decided to conduct mass terrorism. So that applies in every religion, even those that are considered to be very peaceful, like Buddhism. Um, there's, uh, you know, there, there are, I would say there's about 4 to 5 percent of people in every religion that have extremist tendencies, radical, violent tendencies, and a very, very small faction uh, that has, considers actively participating in violent uh, acts of terrorism. And that, that I don't see a difference between any religion in that respect. But uh, your concern is that uh, the United States focuses a lot on uh, Islamic terrorism, whereas they might do uh, well to focus on domestic terrorism. Yes, I am. As a terrorism expert, of course, I am um, monitoring very carefully all kinds of terrorist tendencies in the United States and abroad. And I'm very concerned about the rise of Islamic terrorism, which is very real and very dangerous. Uh, having said that, let's not forget that prior to 9-11, the greatest terrorist attack on American soil was conducted by Timothy McVeigh, who uh, blew up the Oklahoma Federal Building and killed over 160 people. Uh, he was inspired by far-right ideologies and uh, had limited connection with uh, Christian ideology as well, far-right ideology. Uh, therefore, I think that by neglecting that aspect of s domestic security, we are putting ourselves uh, in danger. Well, let's talk about some of these particular groups that go under the rubric of Christian identity. Um, you mentioned a couple of them um, uh, earlier, Aryan Nations, National Alliance. Who, who, who are these groups and what are they about? Uh, these groups uh, are, are not terrorist groups. They are perfectly legal. The United States has a First Amendment uh, that allows uh, people of all political variations to express their opinions, and that includes groups like the National Alliance, basically neo-Nazi um, neo national socialist groups that espouse an American version of Nazi ideology. Um, there are other groups, though, that have uh, uh, a lot of uh, co connections with um, lone wolf terrorism, so, for example, there would be a person belonging to the Klan, right, that would conduct activities terrorizing African-Americans, Jews, and so on and so forth, individually, not necessarily as part of a collective group. But such cases are often um, encouraged, or shall we say, they, are, they find uh, keen spirits in those groups. The Klan is the most active uh, religious terrorist organization in American history. Uh, they've, had, they've been through at least four waves so far. They were created, obviously, in Tennessee in the 1860s during the Reconstruction in the South. Mm -hmm. um, became something like the armed wing of the Democratic Party back then, basically. The militia wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, then in 1915, when, the, uh, when the, um, the movie Birth of a Nation came out, the first ever feature movie, which basically glorified the Klan um, in America, uh, the Klan was uh, reborn again in the South, and at that point you reached the level of uh, about four million members, something like one in five or one in six American voters were a member of the Klan back then. Hmm. And they controlled entire states like Indiana, for example, is a notorious case where the Klan basically controlled the entire state. Um, the Klan tried to even take over the Democratic Party in 1923, but they failed by just, by just a few votes. In the 1960s, they had the third wave of the Klan in response to the civil rights movement, 
And some say we're now seeing a fourth wave of the Klan that was kind of came out in the mid-90s in response to what they see as the New World Order and United Nations authority around the world, which they see as kind of communistic and uh, too liberal. Uh, that's by far the most active Christian-inspired terrorist groups. But there are others as well. Uh, for example, the Aryan Nations is a group that has been associated with individual acts of violence, not necessarily terrorism. Um, they've been around since the 1970s. They combine uh, racialist ideologies and white supremacist ideologies with specific elements in Christian doctrine that they see as fitting their worldview. Um, the, the group is these types of groups, groups like the Aryan Nations, groups like, for example, uh, the uh, creativity movement, as it's called today, are inspired by what we call Christian identity, which is a, a disparate set of beliefs that claims that the true Jews are not the Jews of today, but are the Anglo-Saxons. Uh, it's a, they see it as a lost tribe of Israel, the true Jews. It's also called Anglo-Israelism or British Israelism. And this is a theory that goes back to the 1700s. It began in Britain. And so they believe that, that Anglo-Saxons, white Anglo-Saxons, are the chosen people of God and oft often see America as a chosen nation. They even see, uh, for example, Jesus as an Anglo-Saxon. Yes, they believe that Anglo-Saxons were the tribe that Jesus was part of. And there are not many, of course, in the United States. I mean, that's a really uh, weird theory. But there's about, uh, uh, estimates uh, claim that there are about 50,000 of them in various parishes and various church groups around the country. Uh, so that's a very racially motivated Christian um, far-right group. And so their their goal or religious ideology is that someday, what, Anglo-Saxons will be the, the only ones in the, on the planet or something? It depends. They have uh, There are different uh, streams in that uh, thought. For that we have, for example, uh, white nationalists who believe that they don't, they're not necessarily supremacists. They don't see themselves as better than African-Americans or Jews or whatever, but they want to be separate. They just want to live separately. And they believe that the Bible... Uh, qualifies as a view that they, there should be separation of the uh, races. There are others who are white supremacists, believe that the white race is superior to other races. And that tendency is a little more extreme because this is the kind of people that would deny, say, the Holocaust that ever happened or would even worse, would even actually agree with it. You know, uh, these are the kinds of, so there's a lot of variation in that type of, uh, in those types of groups. If you're just joining us, this is Religion for Life, and my guest is Dr. Joseph Fitsanakis, who coordinates the Security and Intelligence Studies Program at King College in Bristol, Tennessee. And he's here talking about that connection between the American far right and Christian ideology. Well, thinking about those groups that you've just mentioned, I mean, those are ideas. Um, when, when and when do you watch out for those ideas taking action? Well, for example, violent action. Is there, is, does that happen? Is that... Um, have you seen uh, evidence of, of violent activities because of this ideology? There are several individual cases that uh, even up until a few weeks ago, if you remember, there was a case in Oklahoma where um, a couple of guys started just shooting at African-Americans. African-Americans are very few in Oklahoma, and it just so happened that everybody that, that they shot randomly in the street happened to be an African-American, 
which is kind of raises some questions. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can't prove that, right? Uh, however, the one case that I would point out as kind of like raising flags and illustrating the danger of those ideologies becoming, uh, blending with uh, violent rhetoric and actually becoming a reality or becoming an action, would be the case of Timothy McVeigh. Timothy McVeigh, even though he never was a member of a far-right or a neo-Nazi or a white supremacist group, he rubbed shoulders with a lot of these types of groups. He made his living by traveling from gun show to gun show around the country and eventually came across uh, the Turner Diaries. The Turner Diaries is a book uh, written by uh, William Pierce, who was a a senior member of the American neo-Nazi, of the American Nazi Party. And uh, he he wrote under the pseudonym of Andrew MacDonald. And this group, uh, this uh, this book um, is a novel. Uh, It describes the uh, hypothetical case where the American government tries to take away the weapons of Americans and a group of white, um, far-right Americans take up arms against the government and engage in a protracted guerrilla warfare against the United States. Now, of course, William Pierce himself says that it was never his intention to cause people to do these kinds of things. He was just writing a novel. Uh, However, uh, Timothy McVeigh became obsessed with it. He actually started selling copies of it uh, in the gun shows that he would attend. And eventually, um, you know, the book itself describes how the war between the white supremacists and the American government begins when uh, uh, the the, uh, the white supremacists take a truck, load it with uh, fuel, and then explode it at the FBI headquarters in D.C. Which is the same type of technique that he used in Oklahoma City. Precisely. He actually copied, uh, it looks like, he copied um, parts of the book word for word. Uh, and he even the timing of his attack, which happened at 9.02 a.m. in the morning, uh, coincided with the uh, time of the attack in the book, which is 9.15 a.m. The type was exactly the same, the types of trucks that he used, the type of uh, explosives. Weren't the explosives themselves described uh, within the book itself as a as sort of a manual? Right. Uh, in fact, it was, uh, it was uh, 5,000 pounds of ammonium nitrate that he used to, uh, uh, to cause a blast. When he was arrested... Um, Soon afterwards, the police found in his car, in the, in the passenger seat, photocopied extracts from the Turner Diary. In his court case, in his trial, the Turner Diary was the first exhibit, exhibit number one, that was used um, in that case. So. And so what was really his beef? What was, what, what, what was, he, what was he involved in? What, what, did he, what was wrong with the world that he needed to do this? Several things happened in his mind. Uh, the first thing that caused him to uh, start uh, to start uh, flirting with extremism or violent activity, he was uh, he he went uh, he was in the military. He tried to apply for special forces. He failed, and because of that failure, he started feeling like really left out and marginalized by society. And then um, some of your listeners may remember this in '92, the um, the Ruby Ridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, stand-up was in basically Idaho. in Idaho was uh, Randy Weaver who was a white nationalist uh, he not necessarily a white supremacist but somebody who just wanted to he went to Idaho in order to escape multiculturalism as he saw it he took his family there and lived by himself 
But at some point, I believe he started selling weapons that he had that were not, not supposed to be selling uh, without a license. Uh, and um, eventually the uh, government uh, got hold of this, and then they, there was a, a massive uh, uh, response in which uh, during the, um, the incident, uh, 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 Randy Weaver's wife and son were killed by government agents. And he became kind of a martyr for the far-right movement in the United States. That was in 92. About six months later, in 93, the, uh, the Waco massacre took place, the Branch Davidians, which was a, a millenarial mil uh, cult that believed that what was coming to an end and so on and so forth and invested millions of dollars in weapons. Um, and David Koresh, who was the leader of the group, um, was very much anti-government. It was not a far-right group. This was not a far-right group. In fact, they had members that were African-Americans and so on and so forth. But the eventual um, result of the 52-day uh, siege of the compound of the Branch Davidians resulted in over 80 people dying. And uh, David Koresh and his group became kind of a, uh, calling, a, 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 call, a cry for the far-right movement, anti-government movement. Well, the government certainly seems to many people think over overreacted or didn't play that one very well. You can argue that, uh, and there's been all kinds of discussions about this. Uh, the ATF and the FBI that were there had lost several agents that were shot by the members of the cult as they were trying to enter the compound. And so they, uh, some people said that they were trying to get revenge or whatever, but it was definitely uh, 80 deaths too many, you know, mm -hmm. 86 deaths too many. Uh, and uh, in addition to this, uh, following that, the Clinton administration tried to curtail um, the uh, ease with which people can get guns in this country. And uh, they introduced some legislation where if you wanted to buy certain weapons, you had to like, wait for a few days before they did a background check and so on and so forth. And all those things uh, were combined in McVeigh's mind. Uh, and he saw the government as overwhelmingly powerful and intrusive and in association with far-right white supremacist ideologies, uh, some say led him to uh, participate in this very violent act, the greatest act of terrorism on American soil prior to 9-11. Since Timothy McVeigh's bombing uh, in Oklahoma City of 1995, have there been any acts of violent terrorism since? There have been several groups that have been... Um, uh, that have really occupied the government, let's put it this way. For example, I mentioned the book by uh, the Turner Diaries by William Pierce. Uh, another, uh, other than Timothy McVeigh, another group that uh, tried to uh, emulate the book's um, story uh, is a group of neo-Nazi supremacists called The Order, also known as the Silent Brotherhood. That's a group that actually copied the title of that group from the book and these are a bunch of people that got together in the mid-80s, early 80s, and conducted a number of criminal offenses, including robbed a Brinks uh, security tr uh, van and, and stole about $3.6 which then they used for, to buy weapons and so on and so forth. They got involved in uh, money, um, forging uh, currency and so on and so forth. And eventually that group uh, in 83 um, is responsible for uh, killing a liberal uh, Jewish uh, talk show host. Um, so that was an actual case of... Alan Berg. Alan Berg, in Denver. absolutely, in Denver. 
Uh, other cases have been uh, the uh, group called the Covenant, the Sword and the Arm of the Lord, which is a, a, a almost openly Christian terrorist group uh, operating in the United States. Uh, the White Adrian Resistance also has occupied the government for several years. In more recent times, in 2010, I believe, there was a case in uh, Michigan of a group called, calling itself a militia group, calling itself the Hatari, the Hatari militia which was a, a bunch of people who identified themselves as, as they call it, Christian warriors, Christian holy warriors. And their plan, they had this plan to uh, make a false 911 call and then shoot and kill the uh, respondents, government respondents. And then their second part of the plan was, according to the FBI that arrested them eventually, was to, um, uh, to, to uh, place bombs in the funerals of those officers in order to kill more people. And then their, their, their goal was to then retreat to what they call um, uh, s uh, safe points and then use those as a as beginning of a revolution against the American government. Okay? That was an actual group, the Hatari, that, that really connected all of those things, white supremacism, uh, violent religious ideology, and uh, a pretty concrete plan to conduct terrorism in the United States. That's a more recent case, just last two years ago, I believe. So when we see those types of violent activities like that, we shouldn't just think that that is an isolated act of kind of unusual craziness or something, that there's something connected with that that is ideologically connected, and we should understand the roots of that as much as we can. Absolutely. You know, there, and that's a, a big part of the research on the subject is to what extent are these individual cases of kind of individual in, individuals who think that by doing this they're uh, furthering some some uh, bigger cause or to what extent is this stuff organized you know and the and the government's role and the experts role here is to actually try to establish patterns patterns of activity and try to understand the culture the ideology the political motivation of those individuals in order to see if there is something that you can say about a connection that can help trace um, penetrate and then eventually disable those groups before they strike, because that should be the job of government, not to respond after a terrorist strike, but essentially try to prevent it from even happening. My guest, uh, Dr. Joseph Fitsanakis, uh, teaches at King College, the Security and Intelligence Studies program. He is the coordinator of that, and he's my guest on Religion for Life, and we're talking about uh, the American far right and Christian uh, ideology, and so it, it seems to be a, a loose connection between a lot of groups that have a, a, a number of different theologies and ideology, but they have some common connection, and, and one is, is weapons, and another is uh, too much control by the federal government. Is that right? And I want to make this clear. I don't mean to imply at any point in this uh, discussion that the groups that I've mentioned uh, are, are terrorist groups. Uh, in America, we have freedom of expression, mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of these groups take advantage of that, of course. Uh, often, you know, often uh, there are even many European white nationalists who come to America because here they feel they have the right to express their opinions, particularly from Germany, for example, where you cannot deny the Holocaust in Germany. You can do it here, for instance. Um, but there are many cases, of course, of very many individual cases of people who have flirted with these types of ideologies and have been members of certain groups that eventually commit individual acts of violence that can be considered terroristic, okay, in many ways. Um, there is, of course, this, uh, there is a lot of variation, as I mentioned before. For example, between rural locations and 
uh, urban locations. In urban environments, you see more of a neo-Nazi type activity. Uh, people who are mostly younger, mostly um, into white music, white power music. Um, it's a very kind of uh, marginal genre of uh, hardcore metal that these kind of young kids aspire to or like, you know. Um, these are not necessarily religious, mm-hmm. okay? If they are, they are religious in the sense that they worship, let's say, Nordic gods, you know, kind of paganist uh, ideology. Uh, in the rural areas, uh, there's not so much neo-Nazi activity. Uh, it's more the clan that is, uh, kind of represents that kind of far-right, organized uh, movement. And the clan, again, you know, often there are just people who are basically get together at night and burn crosses in some remote location. But sometimes, sometimes, there are cases where individual members or individual fans of these types of groups uh, take take it out on individuals by committing acts of violence. Well, we're just about running out of time, but I do want to want to talk a little bit about um, the various skinhead and neo-Confederate groups. What 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 are those groups? Uh, who are they, and what are they doing? Uh, you know, there are. I think that. Um, America, America is, is, is the world's freest country mm-hmm. where people can speak their mind. And because of that, it often this attitude accommodates groups like skinhead groups, uh, militias, uh, and uh, neo-Confederate groups. Uh, none of these groups would qualify. In fact, every, all, every one of them is perfectly legal. Okay? Sure. Uh, and there's nothing you can say about that. Um, uh, they represent different uh, different strains of far-right ideologies. Militia groups, for example, there are people who think that the greatest threat to their personal liberty is uh, losing access to their weapons, you know? Uh, Neo-Confederate groups are kind of separatist-minded individuals who think that it was uh, a mistake for the South to re- rejoin the, 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 the Federation, you know? Neo-Nazi groups are not as organized. They're more like... Um, I would say kind of like a gang culture type thing in urban uh, locations where uh, a charismatic leader gathers around him, a few, you know, kind of disillusioned youths and so on and so forth. Um, uh, But the thing is, of course, you know, they all have access to weaponry. That's the thing. And um, that's why I think it is imperative. It is imperative for the United States government to, to not lose sight of the fact that terrorism, extremism, violence... Political violence can come from all types of directions. The worst thing we can do to subvert our security as a nation and as a people is to profile terrorism. That is exactly what terrorists want you to do. Tell me more about that. Well, for example, um, many um, TSA officials or Operatives who are in airports, they studies have shown they tend to single out people who look Mediterranean, uh, mm-hmm. who look uh, Arab or uh, Middle Eastern, and uh, are male between the ages of 20 and 35. Let's say, okay. Well, if I were Al Qaeda, the thing that I would do, having seen those reports, and Al Qaeda, make no mistake, they read all of those things, right? I would start recruiting among Caucasian Muslims or women, for example which, in fact, we have evidence they are doing. <laughs> okay. So by, by isolating a particular group and seeing them as necessarily more uh, prone to terrorism than uh, other groups, uh, it, you kind of lose you're sight. You're missing them. Yeah, you're missing the, right forest, you. you're missing the forest uh, for the tree. And that endangers our security. And that applies to religious 
you know, religious uh, uh, views. I, if an Arab wanted to move to the United States and was a Muslim, uh, you may argue that sometimes uh, immigration officials may be a bit more curious about this. If they're a Christian, they may be a little less curious. Well, uh, have news for you. All religions have extreme tendencies, and it's good to be aware of all of those cases. Dr. Fitsanakis uh, of King College, who coordinates the Security and Intelligence Studies program there, has been my guest on Religion for Life. Dr. Fitsanakis, thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Information about Religion for Life, including upcoming shows and links to podcasts, are available at religionforlife.me. Follow Religion for Life on Facebook and Twitter. More information about my congregation can be found at fpcelizabethton.org. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM, Amory, Virginia. Be well.